Calling all Swifties and champions of change, Like a Girl Media is rolling out the red carpet for you with our Thrive Like a Girl contest. We're all about celebrating powerful women leaders who inspire us to dream big and push boundaries. And who embodies that spirit more than Taylor Swift herself? Here's your chance to see her live in concert. We're giving away two tickets to Taylor Swift's show in London on Saturday, June 22nd. Imagine being part of the magic, all thanks to Like a Girl Media. Entering is easy. Subscribe, share, and show us which episodes inspired you the most. Visit our website or check our social media for all the details. Don't just dream it, be it. Thrive like a girl and make this summer unforgettable. Contest opens globally. Voidware prohibited. Must be 18 or older to enter. No purchase necessary. Subscribe and share with hashtag thrive like a girl and tag us at like a girl underscore media for entry. Unlimited entries means unlimited chances. Winner chosen at random after contest closes May 20th, 2024. We'll be notified via DM. Make sure your profiles are not private. Check full rules on our site. This is your shot to see Taylor Swift live. Don't miss it. Hit Like a Girl podcast is a proud member of the Health Podcast Network. One thing I love about working with them is that they're mission-driven, which means that they're dedicated to featuring authoritative shows, hosts, and guests who take on the tough topics in healthcare with empathy, expertise, and a commitment to excellence. If you're looking for bingeable content related to the healthcare industry, they've got more than 8,000 episodes on demand waiting for you. From professional development, the patient voice, digital health, innovation and entrepreneurship, and of course, health IT, they've got you covered. So this is your official invitation to check them out at healthpodcastnetwork.com. And welcome to the Hit Like a Girl podcast. I'm Joy Rios, and today my guest is Dr. Asha Parekh, who is a co-founder, CEO, and biomedical engineer at Frontline Medical Technologies. Her talents are aimed at medical devices that are used in emerging situations to control bleeding. In tangible ways, her work very much saves lives. I loved talking with her and think you'll enjoy this conversation too. So let's get started. I'm so grateful to get to know you and more about your place in the healthcare ecosystem. Would you mind taking a minute to introduce yourself and where you live? What's your piece of the health IT puzzle? Yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much, Joy. And uh, thank you for having me. I appreciate the opportunity to join you and your community uh, in this podcast. Our community, I should say. (laughs) Yeah. That's right. Um, (laughs) Yeah. I'm a biomedical engineer by trade. I did my studies here at Western University in London, Ontario, London, Canada. I did my PhD and then did a couple of postdoctoral fellowships and then jumped into entrepreneurship from there. In terms of where I feel I fit in and how I got drawn to this, I I was always drawn to engineering. I loved math and physics and all of that, but I there was something always pulled me towards healthcare as well. And I always wanted to, I knew I wanted to do something where I felt like I was helping people. I wanted to make an impact in something. So that 
engineering side is where I started. And then I, I really always was drawn to the medical aspect and bringing those principles together and, and trying to help people. Combining those two things, like that is what really hit home for what I'm passionate about. And so that that's what really, that's where I see myself fit. Okay, so then what is your organization? If you're an entrepreneur, where did you land in entrepreneurship? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, thanks for asking. My so after when I jumped into entrepreneurship, what happened was we created this company called Frontline Medical Technologies, which is the the startup company that I have right now. My Myself and my co-founder, Dr. Adam Power, who's a vascular surgeon, we started this company a few years back now. And Frontline, basically what... So we started the project without the company, just to backtrack a bit. We had started working on this project and then decided to actually, because we were both passionate about it, it was something that we thought we can move forward in a way that can actually translate to the real world in a different way beyond just filing a patent or trying to license or something. We thought this is something we want to put our energy into and actually translate into the real world ourselves. And basically what it is, what I think you were asking me <laughs> is we developed a device that is an arterial occlusion device, which in simple terms means you're blocking an artery Why and cutting off blood supply to some portion of your body. Why would you ever want to do that? If there's hemorrhage, so you're bleeding in your torso region, somewhere where you can't apply pressure and stop the bleeding effectively as if it was an extremity and you can apply pressure. You can't do that to your organs and your like abdominal area. And so what happens in those emergency situations is you have some sort of bleeding here and you're bleeding out through that injury site. So the purpose, the intention of an arterial occlusion device are like ours is that you block the artery and that is now going to focus your blood flow to the critical organs, your brain and your heart. You don't want to lose blood flow to your brain and your heart. So you temporarily block, like turn off the tablet, say to the lower part of your body, and you're circuiting your blood flow to make sure that your brain and your heart continue to receive blood. It's a temporary measure. You can't do this for very long, obviously, but it's to buy you time to actually get the patient to definitive care. Okay. So, I feel like I'm in a movie right now. Like there's a Hollywood movie and somebody just got shot and they're like, put pressure, put pressure on it. And is this something that a regular person would have? Or this is a device that would live in like an ambulance that they would apply. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I love that. And I love the scene you created. That is amazing. But yes, right now, this type of procedure is done by a healthcare professional. We definitely, and healthcare professional, right now, it's mostly done oddly in hospital because in they're taking a patient from the ER to the or that type of thing. But the crazy thing is it is, and it is done in, in pre-hospital settings, like outside as well, in some places, just not, it's not widespread yet. And that's where we really can make a difference because the crazy statistic is that 90% of patients, nine zero percent of patients who suffer from that type of injury outside of a hospital won't even make it to the hospital. So we need those paramedics, the pre-hospital physicians, all the people that are on the front lines, we need them to be doing 
these types of procedures. Well, too. And it could be any kind of, uh, can we just talk about the kind of injury that somebody would have in order mm-hmm. to need that? Okay. Gunshot wound. Yeah. Right. You're like something that's happening or to be honest, yeah. this is like sad to say, but it seems like the kind of device that could probably be needed at some schools. Like, I know that's awful to say out loud. <laughs> exactly. Because you don't know where it's car, motor vehicle accidents, gunshots, like you said, anything like they can happen anywhere. Really, right. Is the point, right. Like it could happen on the street. It could happen in a school. You're absolutely right. We don't know where these patients are coming from. A really sophisticated like gang could have something like this on hand. So they, like, they can, they save, can, their they can save their their people. <laughs> I love it. Yeah. We should just start training everyone to do this type of thing To Honestly, though, you're absolutely right. We don't know where these things can happen. They can happen anywhere. So, you know, it is our goal to hopefully get it out. I don't like civilians is probably up where we're a ways off from that just yet. But, But hopefully making the pre-hospital setting like more widespread and that was the intention like our device is very small it's the smallest type of device this type of device that's on the market so what does that do it makes it quicker easier to use which means less blood loss I'm sure you can appreciate like every second counts in these situations so the smaller it is, the quicker it is, the easier it is, everything. That was what we embodied into our product, which is called the Cobra OS. I don't think I... It basically looks like a... I I could show you, but it's basically like a a very thin tube with a balloon on the end. Okay. It gets inserted from the femoral artery in the groin. So I was just saying that's why you would want somebody who knows how to do that to be doing that. And basically that thin tube I was saying gets inserted up into your aorta, which is the major blood vessel that carries blood to the rest of your body. And then you take that balloon and you inflate it. So now you're there and you block it from the inside. So what they used to do back in the day, I say back in the day, it's only like 10 years ago. Some people still do it is that they actually crack open your chest and they clamp the aorta from the outside. So yeah, not good. So very invasive, very hard on the patient. And this is obviously more minimally invasive. And so instead of clamping the aorta from the outside, you blow up the balloon from the inside. So it's like an internal clamp, but the theory is the same. You're still, why were they clamping? Same thing. They want to make sure your blood flows up here. Why do you have an internal clamp? Same thing. And you still have to transport that patient and get them the care that they need, but you're just giving them a better chance at survival. And and, and a very interesting thing, I'm going to sidetrack for one second because this is super cool, but another application, there are a few different applications where something like this can be used, like our device, including postpartum hemorrhage. That's not the one I was going to say, but I'm going to throw it in there. Okay. I had no idea before we started doing this and we started, you know, looking into this. 14 million women around the world every year suffer from postpartum hemorrhage just by giving birth. And I had no idea. Like, that's crazy. There are so many people that have excessive bleeding just from giving birth. And so this actually is something that is already being used for postpartum hemorrhage cases and things like that, which is very cool. And But the one I was going to talk about was actually a non-bleeding application, which is cardiac arrest. So 
somebody goes into cardiac arrest, there's been, there are studies done that show if you block the aorta, like we're talking about, turn off that tap, short circuit up here and do CPR, it becomes almost 200% more effective. Isn't that crazy? That's incredible. <laughs> yeah. If you think about it, it makes sense because again, when you're doing CPR, you're, it's going through your whole body. If you're now, you've closed that loop, it's that much easier to revive because you're trying to resuscitate, right? That makes a lot of sense. That makes yeah. a ton of sense. Yeah. And they're getting a uh, return of circulation rates like they've never seen before. And so that is I'd like an up and coming, super exciting application for a device like ours. And we're very excited to, you know, see where it goes. Cause that's, that's, I'm sure you can imagine that is a huge amount of people that we can potentially help. I save. mean, it's a game changer. If it's in the right hands at the right time, like that's a full on game changer. Okay. My question for you is like, where did this, how did you come up with this idea? Did you, was it a dream? Was it, in, was it through a project in university or like, how did it? How did <laughs> yeah. It, <laughs> it was post-university for me, but fellowship, that's where I actually met my business partner, Dr. Adam Power, who I had mentioned. He, so he is somebody, because he's a vascular surgeon, still practicing, and, and he was a general surgeon, and he's seen this type of thing. And so he was able to identify the need very easily because he's seen a lot of patients need something in those dire moments that you're like, I need a tool for this, or I need a better tool for this. And we started working on it. And honestly, the process of doing that, it was like, we brainstormed, we created a proof of concept, we went through the steps that you go through. It's okay, like, will this actually work? Okay, let's try go through iterations, get some feedback. He's also really helpful to have somebody like him in, in the core team, because he's also a customer, like a, an end oh, user, yeah, somebody sense. who would use it. So it's like, oh yeah, like this could work, this couldn't iterate, that type of thing. And then, yeah, we hit the commercialization button about three years ago, which is when we went into full-on regulatory, like FDA and Health Canada testing. Oh, fun. I'm sure that was a great fun process. <laughs> <laughs> so part of, in our earlier talk, just getting to know each other, again, never done it before. Like neither of us have done this before, but it's a part of the learning experience, part of the journey. It's been so exciting. And yes, of course, stressful at times, but it's so great. And we don't know the answers all the time, but honestly, it's just about keep moving forward, ask, find out, make it happen somehow, you know? It's figure outable. And that coming with that mindset of just, I don't know, but it's figure outable. Give me a minute. <laughs> I love that. Figure outable. Exactly. Right. There's a way to do it. We just need to figure yeah. that out. <laughs> well, so that's what a huge accomplishment. I'm very proud of you. Oh, thank you so much. <laughs> that's got to feel really good. Yeah. You're just like, oh my God, look at me just changing the healthcare system. <laughs> yeah, it is a little, if you don't stop and think about it, because you're just going, but it's, wow, like we actually brought like a device from just a concept and it's approved to yeah. use in North America. What? It's a little crazy. Yeah. It's like that part of the journey was so crazy and oh my gosh, you got approval. And now it's like, 
a whole new ball game all wow. over. <laughs> like now getting on the market, selling, dealing with customers. We haven't had to do that yet. So now we're jumping into a whole other sphere of learning experiences and all of that. I Just heard like- something of the way that they framed it was really powerful for me. It's just like when you get to the top of one mountain, that's actually just the bottom of the next mountain. (laughs) Right. That's right. But I find, I think probably part of my DNA is I love challenges. So this is, it's great because it's like if we had got there and it feels good and whatever, but I'm, I, I love that challenge. So I think it's exciting. It's projecting, I guess. Assuming on your your academic where you're just like, oh, you're very accomplished and continue going after these milestone goals that at, then it's once you get to the point where you're like, I did it. I got all of the, the letters that I could get. Now what? And <laughs> Yeah, it's so funny. My family always said, honestly, like you could stay in school forever. I finished my PhD and I was like, maybe I'll go to law school. They were like, um, <laughs> like, I think you need to stop. You literally got the highest level of education you can in your field. And I'm like, okay, fine. I'll leave those experts in those. Yeah, you're like, I won't know it all. I guess I'll have to collaborate with other people that know things. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> well, yeah. did, were you always like that? Like, I, I love, I've been really enjoying asking people, like, did your old self have any idea what you would be up to right now? Zero. Okay. In terms of my curiosity and like that, that, that mindset, I think I've always had that. But did I ever think that I would be owning my own business? No. I, like, it wasn't part of my plan, but I, it all unfolded so almost organically that there there was no hesitation almost, which is crazy because it, it's a big leap to take. But I never imagined it. Everything just lined up. Like I love it when stuff happens in your life where you're just like, okay, there's a fork in a road, but like you're pulled in one direction almost because it's, you can't not do it. You're pulled so hard into it. I can't not do this thing. I have to. Like there's no choice. That is exactly it. And it happened like this path really took off from that first fellowship that I did, which is where I met Adam and started really getting into medical device innovation. And it, I actually was sitting there reading the email from someone who like said, I think you'd be great for this role. Please apply. And I was like, I actually was like, this seems, it sounds too good to be true. It's not like that, like what you just described. I can't say no to it. Like I truly cannot. And it ended up, and then again, this, it was like, I can't not do it. Like I have to, it's crazy. It's crazy. Even the worst case scenario, right? Like it's, it sounds like it was such a good opportunity. So well fit for you that if you, even if you do it and you fail, it's still going to be worth it. Exactly. Because I was like, exactly. You're like, well, what's the worst that can happen? It's not. Okay, great. On to the next. And if you wanted to go apply for a job, I'm sure somebody would hire you. (laughs) (laughs) I would hope so. But now, yeah. And now, did you ever anticipate it? And and that I can never picture anything else now because it's just so, yeah, everything lined up so well. That makes me so happy. Oh, I love it. I'm so happy for you. (laughs) Thank you. The other question I've been really enjoying because it's just so much fun. Mm -hmm. Thinking about your 22-year or 23-year-old self, somebody who's just at a crucial part in your life, what advice would you give to that girl if it was you? 
to either your former self, mm-hmm. like as what did you need to know when you were, what do, what do you know now that you wish you could tell your 22 or 23 year old self? Yeah, I personally, and I've been asked this before, and I I can't say that obviously everyone can use advice, but there's no point where in my life where I say, I wish I would have done something differently. Maybe to think about, and this is what I actually tell people is, I think that I could have, and I think a lot of people at that time can try to reflect critically. I was a little bit more go with the flow, which I still am in a lot of regards, which is good, I think as well, but critically reflect in terms of, I probably, in terms of what's important to you in life, what you're passionate about, what you're at that point, you're maybe finishing university, maybe doing, it's like, what do you actually want to reach towards? What are your goals? Which may sound very... Yeah, of course people are going to do that. But to be honest, I finished undergrad. I assumed I was just going to go work for some company. Like I hadn't really... I hadn't even thought about grad school at that point. I didn't know that I actually wanted to do my PhD and I was so into that. Yeah, it was just like going with you know, what rolling with the punches and doing what I wanted to do still. But I think that critical reflection has become so important to me and has helped me make a lot of those decisions like we've been talking about. When you get to those forks and it's almost, yeah, of course. It's not like I'm weighing things and not just... You actually know what's important to you, what what's driving you on many levels of your life from, you know, personal to whether it be career-wise or what. So, okay, to translate that, do you think that would be like asking yourself, okay, what's my one-year goal or where do I want to be in five years? Or really the critical aspect of finding out and really answering the question, what drives me, right? Yeah, I would say, I think goals are important. And if you can do that one year, five year, whatever goals, that's great. But in terms of, yeah, I think you hit that nail for me in terms of what drives you. And I would say even on a granular level, when I critically reflected before that opportunity came about for the fellowship that I said I couldn't say no to, mm-hmm. I truly was asking myself, what do I want to be doing in life on a broad level, but even on a granular level of what do I want to be doing every day? Like right. with my time, like however many hours of the day where I'm going to be potentially working or what do I want to be doing? Because that is such a big part of your personal happiness, like where you spend your time. And I think we're moving towards a lot of people reflecting more in that. But I definitely, there's still a large number of people who, you know, you have to just go to your job, do it. With right. Them. No, like you have to, and I get it. We need to work. We need to pay bills. We need to do all of those things, but we don't necessarily always realize how big of an effect it has on our... I think you're hitting on something where it's, we've created a culture where glorified to be very busy. It's if you're constantly busy, then you're, you know, like somehow that's like the best way to be, but that doesn't mean that you actually are thoughtful are careful about the things that you are busy with. A lot of times you're just doing the next thing because you just have to. The rat race to deal with. That's right. But I think if you have an opportunity to step back and be like, okay, in my quiet moments, when I am by myself and I want to be intentional with my time and with my efforts, 
what would I like to be busy with? It's a whole different conversation. Completely different. I remember, I'll tell you a quick story here, Joy, when I, same time frame when I had finished my PhD, two, like my two best friends in grad school were like, well, like, what would your ideal job be? Like, we used to have these deep conversations and what, like, they were like, and I was like, honestly, I was like, my ideal, and at that point, it was like, okay, I knew I didn't want to stay in academia right away. Again, I assumed I was going to go find a job, but I really wanted to spend the time to find something that I thought was right for me. And I, we were sitting there talking, and I remember saying, honestly, like my, I love this field. I love biomedical engineering. I was still very passionate about that, but I was like, I wish there was like, it was normal to have part-time or half-day jobs in the, which didn't now with the, honestly, with the pandemic and all these other options, like there may be some, a lot more flexibility than there was before pre-pandemic. But I was like, that doesn't exist. If I could go to work from, it might sound crazy, eight to 12 or eight to one and be super into what I'm doing there. But then I also have everything else I love in life, you know? Well, I think that's really underrated too, because I always, I remember feeling like, why is it so regimented that we've decided that in order to do a good job, you have to be working eight hours a day, 40 hours a week in this time frame? I'm like, I remember times that I'm like, listen, sometimes it only takes me 20 minutes to get something done. And if we're looking about the outcome or the result, isn't that more important than me just like having my butt in this seat for eight hours? <laughs> exactly. Exactly. I, I don't know. I think those reflection points is what I would try to bring to people in at any point in life. But I don't know that you're able to do that much earlier than that time frame you gave, like maybe somewhere like mid-20s. Yeah. Yeah. It takes a minute. This has been such a pleasure getting to know. I'm so like, I'm just like, oh, can we be friends? I wish you I, I, I feel like I'm speaking with a friend. <laughs> That's great. I feel like I could tell you stories all day too. Like. <laughs> yeah, I would love to hear. I would love to hear. And I keep thinking like, oh no, like I, I'm not supposed to be conversing with you like this. Like, no, it's totally fine. We get to do whatever we want because we're making up the rules. That's the beauty of it. <laughs> you like create your own job. I'll share with you. I, and it was in my twenties, I was living in San Francisco and I was there for six years. That's where I ended up going to grad school. And I really had the time of my life there. I, once I got into grad school, I just felt, oh my gosh, these are my people. And I was so excited about all of the, just possibility and projects that people were working on. But my deep reflection came in, in how attached I would get to other people's big ideas, because I have this need or desire to want to support people or help them in their journey. And I'm just like, okay, put me to work. And then I would be like, yeah, how can I help you and or support you or whatever? And I would get so into it. And then it took me a few years to realize hey, I'm not working on my big dream. Like <laughs> I need to take a minute to think about, okay, what is it that I care so much about that I want to pursue? Not how can I support other people in That's theirs? It, that was that was just an eye-opener for me in my late 20s of just, okay. And I think that's partially why I have settled on a quieter town to live in. Like we were tapping on earlier that it's, okay, it gives me the space to focus on what I want to focus on and not get distracted by everybody else's big idea. 
Yeah, no, that's amazing. One that just shows that you're such a wonderful person, Joy, that wanting to help people all the time. And that's very generous of in your nature, obviously, but very cool to hear how that transitioned into your reflection about taking you to what you wanted to be doing with your life. Well, and now it's a matter of, okay, I still want to help people, but I'm like, I got to do it in my own way. And then let me just, I'll tap in to when I need to. And then I need the time to step back and be like, okay, this is just me time. Yeah. That also takes a minute, right? To realize like how much of yourself you can give people and how like those types of boundaries, I think we learn yeah. And it's been fun. I love this, the project, the Hit Like a Girl project, because ultimately what we get to do is share our life lessons and then just spread them. Like whoever is, I'm just going to drop it here. If you're here to pick it up, awesome. <laughs> Hopefully it helps you on your journey. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I always say I have gotten such great advice from so many people and talks and just these types of conversations and everyone's experience is different. Even if it's like, somebody who's gone through the same thing, there's always little nuances, different totally. things they've learned. And if sharing stories help, can help someone else, I'm very happy to do that all the time. So now that you are in this new phase of your professional journey, if people want to find your device, buy it, if they want to work with you or follow you, what's the best way for them to do? Yeah, thanks for asking that. Website is frontlinemedtech.com. There's a lot of information about what we're doing up there. I'm always happy to chat with people as well. Uh, they can find me on LinkedIn and however I'm open to, I'm open to people communicating in, it, in any form, but yeah, probably LinkedIn and our website would be the best options to start. Okay, perfect. I will include both in the show notes. Great. Thank you so much for this time. Oh, thank you for having me, Joy. It's been a pleasure. Uh, it's been a real treat to speaking with you and it's been very comfortable. So thank you for creating that space. My pleasure. Thanks for listening. You can learn more about us or this guest by going to our website or visiting us on any of the socials with the handle hit like a girl pod. Thanks again. See you soon. This episode is brought to you by Chirpy Bird Inc. CMS's Merit-Based Incentive Payment System, or MIPS, is super complex, and if clinicians ignore the program or perform poorly in it, it can result in a hit to their revenue and reputation. Chirpy Bird is proud to say that more than 95% of its clients are exceptional performers in MIPS, meaning they've maximized the score that directly translates into their Medicare reimbursement rate. Chirpy Bird offers their audit-proof services to practices of all sizes through an affordable monthly subscription that includes unlimited access to a regulatory expert who guides them in knowing what data to track, how to create workflows that make capturing that data easier, and ensures that they submit it all to CMS on time and performing at its best. Contact Chirpy Bird today or learn more at chirpybirdinc.com. That's chirpybirdinc.com.